The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the PFN NFL Draft Premier Podcast. I think I mixed the words up, Ollie. PFN Premier NFL Draft Podcast. There we go. We got it on the second try. I I, I said it a couple podcasts ago. I knew I was going to mix up the words at some point, and I did it now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I won't do it again. I promise. But Ali, I mean, it's been a few days, so we've been uh, we've been going through. We've been writing and stuff. First off, man, just how you doing? I'm doing well. It was inevitable that the PFN Premier NFL Draft podcast was going to get mixed up. At it's some a lot point. of words, man. It's a lot, a lot of words. A lot of words beginning with P in there as well, which yeah, you know doesn't doesn't help. I, I think know. it's better now. It's better now that we have an excuse because it's early days. We're still getting used to it. Whereas in like five years' time, when we're doing it, that'll be that'll be tantamount to negligence. I'm doing really good. I hope you are too, my man. Yeah, just uh, just chilling, just writing, just grinding. That's what it is this time of year, honestly. I mean, that's how all it is. And we'll get to some stuff. I know you've been watching tape. I've been watching tape. We're always watching tape, man. That's like breathing oxygen at this point. But, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. I know there was one development over the uh, weekend. I think it was on Friday, Michigan's Pro Day, that we want to get to first. David Ajabo, obviously, first-round prospect, highly rated. Uh, for me, he's a top-ten prospect. I know he's high for you, too. Uh, ended up suffering suffering an injury, and it was revealed later on that he tore his Achilles. So he is going to be out for the foreseeable future, and it kind of clouds the long-term outlook of his stock. And I know Adam Schefter tweeted that doctors are optimistic about his about him making a full recovery. We know Cam Akers recently came back in six months from that, which to me personally, that's the absolute optimistic timeline. That's just absurd. You've never really seen a guy come off that quickly from it. But what are you thinking about Ajabo real quick leading off the podcast? Because I know, you know, especially for edge rushers who you need that initial burst, you need to get that from that muscle off the line. You know, it, it, recovering from that is, I think, harder for edge rushers. You know, it's really tough to get back to 100%. Sometimes we see guys, especially late in their career, when they suffer an Achilles injury, they're never the same player. For Ajabo, you know, maybe the silver lining is it happened early and he has a red shirt year. He can get back to 100%. How are you feeling about this, and how do you think it'll affect the stock? Because I know people have been talking about that too. Where do you think it goes? Yeah, it's um, it's sad to see. You know, anytime you see a, a premier NFL draft prospect, I mean, we did well to get those words. The it's it's sad to see. You know, we saw it with Jameson Williams in the national championship game where he tore his ACL. Seeing it now with David Ajabo with the Achilles tear, it's extremely sad when a prospect that is such. Um, an exciting talent 
And this is exactly what David Ajabo is. He's an excruciatingly exciting talent. You know, there's 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 a lot of stuff that he still needs to work on. That's why I've not been quite as high on him as some of the other guys in our department. You know, he's a fifth, the fifth overall prospect on the PFN, most up-to-date PFN, top 300 big board. Cam Mellers, top overall prospect, your fourth-ranked prospect, Tony Pauline, fifth-ranked prospect. I've had him as my 19th overall prospect. I think there's there's still some work to do, but the upside is there. You know, he's a tantalising athlete who, you know, you, touch, you touched on there as an edge rusher. You, you look at that explosiveness, and, and that's what David Ojabo is. You know, we saw it at the combine. He's testing numbers, 10, 10 too broad, 35-inch there. They're the explosion numbers, great numbers for a size. You know, a kid who is 6'4", 250 pounds, Came in with eighty over eighty inch wings, over thirty three inch arms, thirty three inch arms. You know, the numbers across the board back up how exciting David Ajara has been to watch in his sole season, um, uh, sole starting season for Michigan. And um, so, when you see something like that happen to a kid like that, it is absolutely devastating. Um, I put a tweet out Friday. You know. If your initial reaction from David Ajabo's injury is to hope that he falls to your teammate on the draft, you, you need to go away and have a little word with yourself because that's a, it's a totally the wrong attitude to take. But as NFL draft analysts, we have to think about how this will impact his stock. And we talked about it on a previous episode, um, you know, back back just after the national championship about Jameson Williams. How will an injury that almost certainly rules you out of making an immediate impact in the NFL? How will that hit your draft stock? Because first round picks need to come in and make an immediate impact. There's no two ways around that. You're not looking at a guy who's taken on day one of the NFL draft who teams don't expect to get an immediate return out of, an immediate return on investment. And when you've got injury issues that, that do cloud that, that is going to have an impact on his, his stock. Now, we, we've said with Jameson Williams, he's got that, um, he had a longer time to recuperate, so potentially the 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 um, the knock on effect of that injury might not be the same as as for David Ajabo. Six month recovery period, if that's the optimal, would take us to the start of September, which would mean him missing the entire of training camp. And you think then he's not going to be ready to hit the ground running until November December time. For most teams, that's their season done and, and over with. So uh, it is so difficult to say what. It, what might happen. There's so many teams that need edge rushers um, that, you know, a team in the back end of the first round could quite comfortably still take David Ajaba um, because the as, as edge rushers rush off the clock, a team will say, look, we're not going to miss out on a premier talent like David Ajaba. And there's teams in the back end of the first round as well who, who need edge rushers. And um, so, it is so difficult to know what will happen, but you've got to think that based on that return on investment that the NFL wants to see out of first-round picks, you've got to think that it will cause some um, some sort of stall to it, to his stock for, like I say, a player who, who we got as the fifth overall prospect on the Pro Football Network, top 300 big board. Yeah, I think the thing that you got to take into account here is, you know, uh, having these guys on contract for a long time. I mean, these rookie contracts... You know, automatically four years, but in the in the first round too, you get that fifth year option where you can get them, you know, for an extended year. Work on maybe putting together a contract extension, get them around long term. You know, that little bit of security can go a long way, especially for a guy like David Ajabo, who I know 
the pass rushing upside was the biggest selling point for him. So like you said, you know, we have him pretty high on our boards, but at the same time, he is still a work in progress with his pass rushing moves and with his run defense, obviously trending up in both areas, but still things to work on. So this is a guy who you might not be looking at or might not be anticipating a peak until year three or two or three or even four. Right. So it's kind of the long term game with David Ajabo in the early time period, you know, before the injury, we could expect him to be a really good pass rushing catalyst with his physical tools. Right. But now, you know, this injury sets him back a year. But if you're still high on the talent and high on the fact that maybe he can get to 100 percent with a full recovery, you know, if you have an extra early round pick. You know, I could see a team trading back up into the first round just to get him at like 30, 31, 32, just to get that fifth year option. Or if he slips past that point, I do think a team with an extra early round pick in round two could decide like, hey, let's use it. We know we're not going to get an impact from him right away, but stash him, let him build back up. And then two to three years down the line, he could be a very, very good player for us. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You got to look at the long-term game with Ajabo. I think that's what teams can look at. Obviously, the the chief hope, the, the, the primary hope here is that he does get back to 100% because phenomenal player on the field. He, you hear nothing but great things about him off the field. Came from Scotland. Uh, you know, he he's had a tremendous journey to the to the uh, NFL draft. You know, and just emerging in, in such a big way this past year, opposite Aiden Hutchinson. You know, he's he's a great talent and, and a great person off the field too. So, best wishes to him above anything, uh, and we hope that he can get back to 100. Moving on from that, though, uh, we got one little new segment for you guys. And then we're going to turn over to uh, free agency, some free agency draft content. We're looking at, you know, some of the best fits remaining four teams in the NFL draft after some of the moves in free agency. Like who's a player in the NFL draft who could really complete the puzzle for teams after the first wave of free agency. But first off, Ali, I know we we mentioned tape watching. We both watch a lot of it. Uh, I want to know from you over the past few days since the last episode, uh, what kind of tape you've been watching? You got any notes you want to throw out there on the pod? And obviously, if you want to see more, uh, we have a new weekly segment, uh, the NFL Scouting Notebook, that each of us are re- releasing on Fridays, um, where you can kind of get an inside look at our process and some under the radar guys that you know we may not necessarily write a full scouting report on, but guys that we want to get notes out there on. So you know that's a great way to kind of get a closer look at our process and what we're looking at. But I guess Ali, for right now, you got any notes you want to share? Yeah, sure. And actually, we'll start with today. I've spent today watching Virginia Tech tape now for some people. That might be a good thing. That might be a bad thing. Um, Virginia Tech tape was watched primarily for offensive tackle Luke Tanuta, who's, for me, probably a late day three guy in the 2022 NFL draft. I had the opportunity to speak with Luke um, earlier in the process and a smarter a more intelligent football mind you probably couldn't wish to find um, on day three of the NFL draft. Kid is the the son of a coach um, who has been a defensive analyst at Virginia Tech. His brother is a high school head coach. His other brother is a professional baseball player, so sport runs through the family. So you can see that. You can hear it when you talk to Luke Tanuta. You can hear it in the way he describes the game, describes what he's seeing on the football field. Then when you watch the tape, that translates. You can see him using that football intelligence to pick up stunts, twists. You see him looking for work at the second level as he advances in the run game. And that's what really impressed me with Luke Tanuta. Aside from the football intelligence, for a kid who is six foot eight and 320 pounds, 
he moves pretty well going forward. Um, so Virginia Tech used him as a, a, a pulling pulling tackle. You see him coming around the back of the formation and hitting people head on in the run game. You see him getting out to the second level really well um, as well. So he's got some rel- decent relative athleticism for his son. There's there's some things that will limit his ceiling as a day three guy. Um, not great as a lateral athlete. Um, he he can he can hit his pass set marks sometimes, but he's very inconsistent, and that's a byproduct of his lateral agility or lack thereof. Um, for a guy who's six foot eight, plays with very high pad level. Now we've seen tall guys who can um, who can mitigate some of that um, with their knee bend. Um, but although Luke Newt shows the ability to play with good knee bend, he just can't escape that six foot eight frame. So he plays very high, very high stance, plays with very high pad level, and that allows um, opposition to get up and under him um, and win the leverage battle, even though he's got some, you know, some decent play strength and um, the, the leverage battles won by uh, inevitably smaller opponents. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot to work on for his game. I think he makes a, um, a good um, late round versatile swing tackle. He's got experience at left and right. Um, so that's going to, we know, play pretty well to the NFL crowd. If you've got a guy who you're going to have primarily as a backup, he can come in and he can uh, he can play both ends, uh, bookends, if needed, in a pinch. Uh, but I was quite impressed, actually, by while watching Luton, by Raheem Blackshear, the, the, the running back out of Virginia Tech. The guy who I've got in the, the back, back end of my top 300 had a great performance at the Hula Bowl. Um, really quick running back. Very shifty, very explosive athlete. Um, I think he shows grip body control as well, can make moves happen in the open field. I really like Raheem Blackshear as a, a late right running back option. If you're looking for a kid who can um, come in and be a this style running back in a rotation for a, for an NFL team, then you need to get your eyes on Raheem Blackshear. And I'm definitely going to go back and have a, a deeper dive on his tape. Based from from watching the Hula Bowl, I was kind of had him on my watch list. I've not been able to get back around to to digging deep into his tape, but um, yeah, I was super impressed by Raheem Blackshear. He's like a late round running guy, just who caught, caught the eye while trying to watch Luke Tanuta. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, there were a lot of guys at the Hula Bowl who kind of flash, and we've you know following their testing numbers too. A few of them, I know Andrew Ogletree from Youngstown State, AJ Arcuri from Michigan State. You know, just a few guys that have really been popping. Uh, at the pro days and, you know, kind of flash at the hula ball. So that's a great uh, opportunity to kind of get some eyes on those guys and, you know, see those flashes. And it's great to see. And I am very much looking forward to more thoughts on Tenuta on Blackshear. I know I'm going to be watching him uh, because I have heard his name a few times now. Uh, so that'll be a fun one. But me personally, I spent really the last three days just watching wide receiver film. And uh, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen uh, I've been posting uh, grades. I've got a grading scale in the works. I still got to work on um, refining the weights for each position, but I'm at a I'm at a pretty comfortable spot with wide receivers um, in terms of you know what traits do I value most and by how much do I value them relative to other traits, right? So I'm I'm gonna be tweaking it, you know, but I'm in a pretty good spot right now. So I'm trying to input numbers and see how things play out. And there have been some surprising results with this grading scale. Uh, Garrett Wilson still my wide receiver one. Jameson Williams still number two. Drake London still number three. Uh, so pretty kind of uh, emulated my thoughts on them pretty well. 
But after that, it gets a little dicey. Uh, you, you got guys like uh, I will. I'll spare you my thoughts on Eric Azucanma for now. That's for a different time. I'm still finalizing that one. He's pre- <laughs> he's pretty high though. I knew you, I, you knew I had to mention him. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna spare you with that one. I'm gonna go to some other guys. Um, uh, Taekwon Thornton right now is in my top ten. He will probably get knocked out because I still got to go through guys like Al Pierce and Jahan Dotson. But Taekwon Thornton, I was a big fan of. I'd like him to get a little bit stronger, expand his route tree. But that speed size combination for him is really alluring. And then one guy who really shocked me this morning, I was watching him input at his numbers, SMU wide receiver Danny Gray. Uh, this guy came in with a 7.7725. And for some context, you know, I'm not doing concrete round grades because every evaluation, everyone sees these traits differently. Like, let's say there's a guy with a 7, 7.5 but he's got 9.5 explosiveness, right? You might be willing to take that guy in round one, even though he graded more in the day two range, right? So it's not my place to confine these guys to a round. But what I'm generally seeing is that most of the first round prospects are finding themselves over the eight point threshold, you know, like uh, like Traylon Burks is at 8.02, Drake London 8.21. So usually that's where we're finding them. Danny Gray came in with a 7.7725. So in that high day two range, which I was really surprised by, um, you know, and I, I made sure to reference with Ali, you know, made sure my numbers weren't completely out of this world. But, you know, I do I do really like what I saw from Danny Gray, uh, the SMU wide receiver. Uh, he ran a 4.33 at the NFL Combine. Really good explosiveness numbers, too. I think he's a little more, you know, I think his top end speed is a little bit better than his explosiveness. Like he ha- he needs a little bit of space to gear up, but he's still very explosive and very fast once, you, once he reaches that max speed. Uh, and then he's really agile and twitchy at, at the line, which I really like. He flashes the ability to use releases and get displacement. Um, he's got some manipulation, some throttle control as a route runner. I love that. He he knows how to use head fakes. Um, you know, I would like to see him get a little more physical, but he has flashed physicality for his size. He's also got a pretty good size profile around similar size to Garrett Wilson. Actually, 5'11", 7'8", 186 pounds and almost 32 inch arms. So uh, a pretty solid size profile considering his athleticism. And then on top of that, too, you know, he's got solid hands. Again, I'd like him to be a little bit more consistent. He He's a little bit of a body catcher sometimes. He can work through contact a little bit better. But the flashes are there. And I do like that he does actively try to target the ball with his hands. And then on top of that, you know, just having that explosiveness, that twitch, that agility, you know, that top-end speed to really destroy tackling angles, it's all there with Danny Gray. Uh, so I'm a big fan of this guy. Again, some things to work on. But he's in the day two range for me. And, and I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. You know, I, I was a little uncomfortable when the ranking came in, but I'd rather run with this and learn if it's wrong than conform to consensus. I, I'm a big fan of Danny Gray right now. I'm going to obviously be reevaluating, but that was a guy who really stuck out to me uh, when I was watching the past few days. And I'm, I'm really having fun going through this receiver class, man, because there's so much depth. There's so many good players, and I'm just excited to dive in. When I get to my top 25, I might, I might post that list on Twitter. Uh, but again, I don't want to be roasted too bad, so maybe I'll, I'll hold off. But Danny Gray, he's a fun player. Danny Gray is a fun player. I absolutely, I, I did his scouting report um, just before the senior ball, and I was actually, I was quite surprised. I've always been a huge Reggie Robeson fan, um, but when you flick on the SMU tape, um, with all due respect to Reggie Robeson, he's not quite the elite athlete that he was before his injury. Danny Gray is an elite athlete, and you you talked about his um, his combine speed there. Completely translates to the field, you know. There, there, there's some plays. I think it was TCU just off the top of my head without my my, my notes on Danny Gray yeah. in front of me. I don't even need to know what you're talking about. TCU, <laughs> yep, that was it. 
like you know and he's just one of those players where you, you just go wow who, who is this guy and um and I, I really like i really like danny gray you mentioned his size there he did measure in um at um at the combine slightly smaller than what smu had him listed but like we 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 were talking between ourselves he plays up to the size that smu had him listed at if that makes sense you know he plays more physical um as a pass catcher certainly um and his ability to go up and get the ball at the, the catch point he plays bigger as big as the size that smu listed him at and like like you said Ian, there, there is this there's things from a physicality standpoint that he does need to work on and there's things that he hasn't been exposed to at the college level with smu that he's going to have to prove that he can overcome and um, when he gets to the nfl level but yeah i really like danny gray i'm not as high no i didn't certainly certainly didn't see him as a top 10 wide receiver in this class but it is certainly not out of the realms of possibility because there's a hell of a lot to love about the kid yeah and you know like i said i still got some guys to go through so maybe he gets knocked down but as of now he's pretty high on that board and i'm, I'm gonna run with it you know and that's the good thing about draft evaluation is there's uh such a large range for what you can think about a prospect and you know it's all you know just the, the bottom line is stick to what you see right you know maybe you don't see danny gray as quite a, a good prospect that's fine stick with what you see you know because it, when I was younger, you know, I would defer to consensus because like, oh, well, everybody thinks this about this guy. So maybe I don't want to get roasted. I don't want to get backlash. Right. You know, but if you put in the work, if you actually watch and you see something differently, don't be afraid to express that. Right. You know, it goes for everybody. So that's what I'm going with with Danny Gray. And I want to reiterate, too, like we've mentioned the size. Uh, but here's so Danny Gray measured in 5'11", 7'8", 186 pounds, 31 7'8", arms. Garrett Wilson. 5'11", 3 fourths, 183 pounds, 32-inch arms. So almost identical size profiles from two guys. And I think that, you know, for me personally, when you're that, I think I gave them both a 5.75 on the size score. So like a little bit above average. Again, not great, but not, not even close to the liability range for me. You know, when you look at their athleticism, both of them, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm more than willing to take a chance on this guy because they're not liabilities with the size. So, and like you said, he does play up to that listed weight at times, can still improve there, especially translating to the NFL game with more physical DBs, but the speed, the explosiveness, the twitch, it all translates. And he's got good catching instincts as well. You know, he's a fun player. I'm excited to see what he does, how he grows. Uh, but with that, Ali, let's get into the main segment for today. We've already used up, it feels like 45 minutes. I'm looking at the clock. It's probably more like 20, 25. But for the last half, you know, 60% of this pod, let's get on to um, our favorite NFL draft fits after the first wave of free agency. So we were brainstorming this morning, talking about guys who, you know, would maybe be, you know, the complete the completed piece of the puzzle for certain NFL teams. We know teams have changed their needs after going after certain guys in free agency. So now the picture is kind of different for some teams, but looking at it right now, Ali, I want to ask you, you know, what are, how should we do this? We should have planned. We should have planned better. How should, should we go like back and forth with this? You know, you want to give your favorite fit, then I'll give my favorite fit. I know I exposed myself. I was like, yeah, Ali, I only got two or three. I'm sorry, man, but he's got a ton. <laughs> so we can talk about him. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess here's what we'll do. Ali, you give your favorite one first and then I'll give my two and then we'll just keep rolling at it. But who's, you know, looking at the NFL as a whole, is there a fit that's really jumping out at you as like, yeah, this is the player that this team needs to complete the puzzle and take the next step? Let's start with one of the biggest moves of the free agency period. And it wasn't a free agent. This was one of the biggest moves because it was a, a groundbreaking 
bone-shaking NFL trade, and that's the trade of Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. So we mentioned it on multiple episodes. The biggest need for the Denver Broncos in this 2022 NFL draft cycle, quarterback. Quarterback for the Denver Broncos at pick overall, uh, pick nine overall. That was the, one of the marquee landing spots for a guy like Malik Willis. We've said it you know, for a couple of weeks now. If any team is going to take a quarterback, we think it starts at nine with the Denver Broncos. Well, the Denver Broncos went out and got Russell Wilson. Mega trade, gave up a uh, ton of picks including the ninth overall pick um, to the Seattle Seahawks and and their first of the two um, second-round picks. So with the, the the second of those second-round picks, the one they've still got, the one that belongs to the Los Angeles Rams that came to them via the Von Miller trade, I think the Denver Broncos and Washington State offensive tackle Abraham Lucas make beautiful bedfellows. The... The, the Broncos need a right tackle, as simple as that. They, they brought in Tom Compton um, uh, in during free agency, but I don't think Compton moves the needle, particularly in terms of the starting right tackle position. Bobby Massey has obviously manned that position for them. But I think you bring in a guy like Abraham Lucas, who is, has gone somewhat under the radar in this um, in this NFL draft cycle because you know he plays for a team at Washington State who... Um, the very set with their air raid offense. It doesn't bring a lot of, um, doesn't breed a lot of uh, versatility in terms of offensive line play. Um, but Abraham Lucas might be uh, the most experienced pass protector in the NFL. And one of the things that Russell Wilson has had to overcome during his time at the Seattle Seahawks is having to run for his life. And um, we know he's a mobile quarterback, but the offensive line play for the Seattle Seahawks has meant that he's has had to run for his life a little bit more than I think Russell Wilson would like to. Um, so he gets now, if they, if they could land a guy like Abraham Lucas, he gets a guy who we know is a great pass protector, one of the, the best pure right tackle pass protecting offensive line prospects that there is in this class. But intriguingly, Abraham Lucas tested, I don't want to say off the charts, but he tested really well. At, uh, at the NFL Combine in terms of his speed, his agility, and his explosion. Well, I, I'd quite like to see Russell Wilson getting behind Abraham Lucas because this kid ran a, uh, excuse, <clears throat> excuse me, ran a 4.92 40-yard dash. He led all offensive tackles in the, uh, offensive linemen, should I say, not just offensive tackles, all offensive linemen in the 20-yard shuttle with 4.40. Tested really well across the board at the, at the NFL Combine. I think if you're the, the Denver Broncos, you can get a starting right tackle at the 64th overall pick, the last pick of the second round. And I think that's what Abram Lucas can be. I think he can be a... Uh, um, a starting right tackle in the NFL, and I think it can be an early starting right tackle. I think that's a great get for the Denver, the Denver Broncos and a really great fit as well. Yeah, you talk about the Broncos. The first thing that needs to come to mind when you're talking about that tackle spot is it's got to be a natural right tackle. Like you can switch guys over; it's possible, you know. And I feel like it's weird. Like some people, like sometimes it's like, oh, you can't do that. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's Madden, do whatever you want. No, it's kind of in the middle, yeah. right? Like it, it can happen, but it's tough. If a player is more natural right side, then obviously keeping them there early on in their career can be beneficial. And with the Broncos, especially, 
who you just got you traded for Russell Wilson. You're looking to compete now. So I, I'm not sure how optimal it would be to get a project or a primarily right, left tackle and move him to right, you know, in a spot that he might not be as comfortable in. You know, there is an adjustment to make. So if you can get a guy who can come in right away and produce, that's optimal. And you mentioned it with Abraham Lucas, probably one of the better pass protectors in this NFL draft class. Uh, you know, and I think that coming into Washington State originally with the Mike Leach era, you know, may have helped him kind of bring him into that. And then now seeing him this past year, you know, he definitely has that ability. You know, he's got the athleticism. He's got good hands. You know, he's got good anchor, good length. He's around 6'6", 315 with 34-inch arms. So the size is there. He's a big dude, and he can move as well. You know, he can match guys laterally. has a good sense of timing. You know, the thing that stands out to me as well is that he is a pretty good run blocker as well. I mean, you watch him get downfield. He can get downfield. He can run with guys. He can drive them back, you know, anchor and sustain those blocks, you know, pave open lanes. He's a very solid player, and I think the athletic testing just kind of drove that home. Maybe there's a chance he's not there at 64. I think he goes round two at some point, maybe early round three. But if if he's still there at 64 and if you're Denver, I feel like after all the moves that you've made in free agency, this is one of the only this is one of the few glaring needs left on your team. And I feel like you have to take it. I feel like you have to do it. Like you could get another edge, you know, with Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory. You know, obviously Chubb might be gone soon. Uh, he hasn't been himself lately. You know, Gregory, they signed him a long-term deal, but you could get another edge rusher in that rotation, especially with a strong class. But you also have a couple picks in round three. So maybe wait until then. I think the right tackles are pretty sparse in this class after the first few. So I would kind of I'd kind of keep that in mind and get that guy if he's there. I think Abe Lucas, a great fit, and I'm all the way on board with that. You know, I'm. it's going to take all my willpower not to mock him to the Broncos at the spot with every other mock draft because we got to keep some variety in there. But I love that fit. I really do. Uh, moving on to the couple that were on my mind, and this was after watching the wide receivers. You know, everyone's talking about who's going to be the first receiver off the board. For me, if I was making the call, I would say Garrett Wilson. Uh, he's my wide receiver one by a pretty big margin, you know, and I, I'm a huge fan of this guy's game. Uh, you can make the argument that he could be more efficient as a route runner, and I agree, but the upside as a route runner is, I think, unmatched. I mean, this guy has really good throttle control, really, really good hip sync and explosiveness. I mean, this guy, you know, my guy Damian Parson, I think he used a really good word for his style. He's a slasher. I mean, this dude is very abrupt as an athlete. Uh, he can explode out of those breaks. And at the same time, he's very manipulative. He's constantly experimenting, you know, with that twitch, trying to get DBs off balance, trying to manipulate their blind spots and get into open field. I mean, this guy has a, you know, he he has a calculated mindset, an attacker's mindset as a route runner. And on top of that, he has the traits to really give DBs a hard time. And I think if you're Garrett Wilson too, you know, beyond that, he's great at the catch point with really, he's he's got high level instincts. You know, he, he can contort, he can track the ball, you know, and he has good hands. Again, sometimes he, his hands are a little inconsistent. There are a few focus drops sometimes where he doesn't work through contact. But overall, I think he works through contact very well. I think a little better than Chris Olave, his teammate. So I'm looking at, at Gary Wilson. He's got that down. And then on top of that, his twitchy, you know, sudden slippery athleticism translates really well after the catch as well. You can get yards that way. So I look at him as one of the best three-level threats in this class. My wide receiver one, I think a really good fit for this guy is the Washington Commanders at 11th overall. I think if you're the Commanders, we've talked about it multiple times. At this point, after trading for Carson Wentz, you cannot afford to draft another QB at 11th overall. Because one, that uses up a pick at, at, for a quarterback that you could use to strengthen your offensive attack, You know, your supporting group. And two, 
you know, Carson Wentz is a guy who, you know, when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts, that was competition that didn't sit well with him. And eventually Hurts kind of took the reins and Wentz kind of collapsed. Now, obviously, that wasn't the determining factor in that. But I feel like if you're Washington, now that you've traded for Carson Wentz, you need to give him complete confidence. You need to at least invest in him fully for the year or two that he's going to be here, you know, if it does end up working out better than we expect, right? So I think now that you have Carson Wentz, don't get competition for him right away because then you're just saying you traded two-thirds for a guy who you might end up cutting next year or trading away next year, probably cutting. But, you know, honestly, I think now that you have Carson Wentz, maximize him. And Garrett Wilson is the best option for that. He's a three-level threat, uh, a great separator, a great run-after-catch threat, and at the catch point as well has the catch radius, has the natural instincts to haul those passes in. I'm a big fan of this guy. I think him and Terry McLaurin could complement each other pretty well, similar to himself in Olave. So I think, you know, getting that slasher, I love that. I love that phrase for it, but it's true, man. Wilson is an attacker, and he's a three-level threat uh, who's a very, very good dynamic weapon for an offense. And I think Washington could really benefit from his presence, maybe even get Diami Brown there on those design vertical, vertical runs, you know, have Wilson and McLaurin drawing attention, then you got Diami down deep. You know, he can sneak through. I feel like that could be a very, very good combination of players. So I'm all the way on board with Garrett Wilson to Washington. Uh, and then Chris Olave, too. I want to talk about the other Ohio State wide receiver. I think if you're Olave, and I'm I'm not quite as high on Olave. I think I have him, you know, at a 7.8 on my grading scale, wide receiver six. I, I'm cool if you I'm cool if you like him in round one. I, I wouldn't be upset by that. For me, he's more in the round two range, but I do like him a lot. And I think if he does go round one, a really good fit, a team that has picks to, to use, they have some flexibility, the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think, you know, similar to how McLaurin and Wilson complement each other, I think Devontae Smith and Chris Olave could complement each other very well. Smith, you know, we talk about that slasher style. I think Devontae Smith kind of has that in him as well. You know, he's got that abrupt, you know, precision as a route runner. Uh, he's, you know, pretty wiry, pretty long, you know, athletic, can get open, uh, just a really solid receiver all around. And then you got Chris Olave, who's not quite as, you know, purely agile or twitchy, but a very smart, very efficient route runner, you know, who really doesn't waste any motion. And then he can explode very quickly out of his breaks, kind of seep into open lanes and take those catches to the house. I really love that fit, how those two complement each other, and especially with Jalen Hurts. I mean, you need to give him weapons if you're going to invest in him to, to see if he can, you know, take this thing to the distance and be that guy. You know, you can't cut any corners investing in that quarterback. So I think Chris Olave, is a very dependable receiver threat. You know, again, not quite the dynamic three-level threat that I think Wilson is, but good in a lot, you know, good enough, solid in a, a lot of areas. Very well-rounded receiver prospect who, with his intelligence, with his efficiency, and with his speed to, to extend those open spaces, could be a very good pro, you know. Uh, so I think those are two good fits for me. If I'm looking at the Ohio State receivers, I think they both stay in the NFC East, ideally. You know, Wilson going to Washington, Alave going to Philly. Just a couple fits that stood out to me when I was watching the receivers. And I'm tempted to keep it on the receivers, but I'm very conscious that we have now spoke about an offensive tackle to the Denver Broncos. We've talked about the two Ohio State wide receivers. It's probably about time that we gave some love to the defensive side of the ball. And one fit that I just cannot escape, I cannot get rid of, I cannot quit, is Nakobe Dean and the Green Bay Packers. Now, our thought process behind this segment was um, fits that hadn't been addressed, needs that hadn't been addressed by the first wave of free agency. And I hear what you're saying. I hear you saying, oh, well, the Packers ball back to Bondre Campbell. Um, 
that's great. Great signing for the Packers. Great signing for Devondre Campbell. Good deal for him. They also bought that Preston Smith. Um, they've got Rashawn Gary. Put Nakobe Dean in that that linebacker group alongside Devondre Campbell. I think you've got an unbeatable, the makings of an unbeatable defensive unit for the Green Bay Packers. Now, yeah, they're gonna have some they're gonna have some offensive issues that they need to address. But you've got a great wide receiver class. You know, we've just talked about two of the guys at the very top. We've talked about Danny Gray. There's so many great wide receiver prospects in this class. You're gonna get a starting wide receiver, starting caliber wide receiver all three days of the NFL draft. And I think that's um I think there's plenty of opportunity for the Green Bay Packers to address those wide receiving options for Aaron Rodgers. That that uh, that replacement um, for Devontae Adams. But I don't think you get a linebacker like N'Kobe Dean that can be the heartbeat of a defense for the next five, ten years in the NFL. Kid who's probably going to get knocked a little bit because of his size in this NFL draft process. Um who is potentially a, a top 10, top 15 talent based on skill set alone, but it isn't outside of the realms of possibility that N'Kobe N- Dean finds himself in the, the draft range of either of the Green Bay Packers' first-round picks. So I think you, you put in N'Kobe Dean into that linebacker unit, a kid who is so clever. We, we've seen it on the field. You know, We've seen how his ability to, to diagnose, to recognise plays, to... To use that intelligence combined with his incredible athleticism to be an absolute dynamic threat against the run. He sniffs out the run game so well. He's also got great coverage ability from the linebacker position. Um, but we've also seen it in um in, in off field. You know, the kid's got what a 4.0 GPA. He's a mechanical engineering major. You know, you don't get them if you can't count to 10. You know, this this kid is is as smart as they come, he's athletic as they come. I think he's going to showcase that he will be able to play outside of the the size concerns that a lot of, um, of a lot of NFL draft analysts and fans have brought up about his um, stature ahead of the NFL draft in terms of his stock. I think it'd be a great a great addition to that defensive unit for the Packers, the defense that has been the issue at times um, with the Packers struggling to get back to the Super Bowl. You know, they've had the offense. They've had those pieces on offense. They've had Aaron Rodgers. They've had the ground game. But it's so often the case, but this has been the defense that's been the the issue. It's been the final stumbling block which prevented them from bringing a Super Bowl back to title town. I think the Kobe Dean's a, a prospect that comes into that defense and helps deliver a Lombardi back to the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I think the extra first rounder is key there. You know, I think if they only yeah. had one, I would probably reserve it to edge you know maybe receiver i know they haven't done that but they kind of need to now (laughs) looking at their receiving core uh maybe right tackle as well there could be a team in that in that field uh but now that you have that extra first rounder you know if you don't use it for a trade up i think you know a a situation that's coming into my head right now and this may be unrealistic because this player might go top 10 but trading up for jermaine johnson who i think would be an excellent fit for what the packers look for in their edge rushers that could be something that they do with those two first rounders. But if they stand pat, you know, I'm thinking getting a, a bigger edge rusher with the second one, getting, getting the Kobe Dean with the first one. You know, Dean is a guy, you look at him and his, like you said, his all-out reliability, you know, the instincts, the IQ to be an, you know, an all-out Mike and just, you know, kind of 
keep the you know keep the defense controlled in the second level but then also the explosiveness the physicality to make plays in that range and then Devondre Campbell his versatility you know in coverage as a, as a blitzer you know that, that those are two guys who could match very well together especially behind that defensive front you got Rashawn Gary coming into his own you know you got Kenny Clark there's a lot of talent there you know and they could add more but you know I think getting the Kobe Dean there if you you know if you can spin it if you're willing to take him with that extra first rounder could be a very good decision so i'm a big fan of the guy i think he's he's my top mike in this class devin lloyd is my top outside linebacker although i think he could be a mike as well uh but they're both tremendous talents i think the size is going to be a little overblown for dean because you know he's a phenomenal player outside of that but you know i'm looking at the packers as well and there's another one that i'm thinking of in that bottom half of the first round range and we're almost running out of time here so we'll kind of wrap it up with our our favorite remaining comps or or fits, I should say. I know you've got one that you're sitting on that you really want to get out there. So I'll let you end <laughs> with that. But real quick right now, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, they just got the right tackle, Lyle Collins. I, I would like them to strengthen their offensive line a little bit more. I still I still don't think it's at the level you want it to be. I think that interior, Ted Karras is okay. You know, I'm not super, uh, I'm not super head over heels for the guy, but he's a solid, def- dependable be- veteran. Alex Kapoff from the Buccaneers, you know, not a great athlete, but again, physical, reliable. You know, I think you can get by with him at least. I would have gone with a better athlete, but, you know, I think if you're the Bengals, it is an upgrade. Um, I think if Kenyon Green is there at 31, you got to you gotta take him, put him at, at left guard and let him thrive, you know. But at the same time, I, I do see that corner position. Outside of Chidobe Awuzie and Mike Hilton, their slot guy, they could use another guy on the opposite side. Eli Apple, he gets a lot of crap. Eli Apple did have some good moments from this past year. He also had some bad moments, right? So if you're a corner, I think you want a little bit more dependability, a little bit more stability. And Kyrie Elam is one that really stands out to me as a guy who could be a good fit there. You know, if he's still there, you know, I think with his combine performance, and, you know, I was talking with some people on Twitter, and I agree, you know, I, I'm thinking Kyrie Elam, after running a 439 at his size, could probably go top 25. We'll see. But at the same time, we've seen crazier, crazier things happen than Kyler Elam dropping to 31. So I think it's possible that he is there. And if he is there, I think you got to take him because he is explosive. He is fast. He is a long corner with a great frame. Uh, he's fluid, really fluid for his size. That was one of the first things that stood out to me when I was watching his 2020 tape is this guy transitions very well for his size, uh, accelerates very quickly out of those transitions, can click and close. Uh, very fun player in that aspect. But also... You know, very physical, very physical competitor uh, and not afraid to, you know, kind of get in your get in your grill, you know. Right. And then at the same time, a proactive playmaker with good ball skills. I think if you're Cincy, you need a boundary corner who has that physicality, that length, that fluidity, you know, and I think Kair Elam offers a lot of that. So if he's still there at 31, you know, I would really be looking at that because I think that can be a move that completes your secondary. You look at the secondary right now, uh, you know, as I said, you've got a you've got Hilton. And then you've got Jesse Bates and Von Bell for a little bit longer. You know, that's a very good secondary. Add Elam into that. And I think you're looking at one of the best secondaries in the league potentially. So, you know, I think the Bengals, that could be one that really completes their defense. But at the same time, I, I even with the moves that they made in free agency, I don't think you're at a point where you can look away from the offensive line yet. But again, you know, they're a good team. I think they'll be competitive again next year. Maybe not be go as far as they did this year, but uh, you know, they're at a point after making these moves where they do have some flexibility. If you're comfortable with where you're at, take Kyrie Elam and maybe get a guard on day two, right? There's flexibility 
And I think that's one fit that could really complete their defense. So that's my last one, Ali. I'll get to your last one because I know you got a guy that you really want to bring up, a fit you really want to bring up. Uh, let him have it. What's it at? Jordan Davis, Baltimore Ravens. And I know you know that that's the fit that I want to bring up because we talked about this before and you were like, oh, well, I, I'm thinking Jordan Davis to the last read, uh, the, the Los Angeles Chargers. I was pulled the whole Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend, um, because I don't think Jordan Davis is going to be there by the time the Los Angeles Chargers are on the clock at 17, because I think if he's still there when the Baltimore Ravens get on the clock at 14, I think that's where Jordan Davis lands up. For me, he's the um, he's the perfect replacement for uh, Brandon Williams, a nose tackle in that um Baltimore Ravens defense, and we we've seen that the the Ravens aren't looking at addressing that just yet in free agency. They brought in Michael Pierce from uh, Minnesota, but I, I don't think he's the 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 level of caliber of player that Brandon Williams has been for the Ravens, and and that just Jordan Davis could be for this Baltimore Ravens defense. You look at the similarities in size. Brandon Williams three thirty six pounds. Jordan Davis, 341. We've seen what an incredibly explosive athlete that Jordan Davis is. We've seen it at the combine, seen it in his tape for Georgia. Um, the the Ravens look, were looking to add pass rushes. Um, the deal for Zadarius Smith fell through. Um, but if you plug in a guy like Jordan Davis, it doesn't matter who your pass rusher is, you know, be it um, Adolfi Owe, be it Justin Houston, if they brought him back whoever that they, they choose to throw at the quarterback, they're going to have plenty of time to do it because Jordan Davis is going to be eating up double teams, triple teams, getting in the backfield himself. I think that would just be a great um, great opportunity for um, the Baltimore Ravens to, to get a guy who can plug that hole in the middle of the, the defensive line and just allow everyone around him to go to work. Um, I just think it's a great fit. I think it's something that almost almost feels like a done deal in terms of what the the talk you see about that 14th overall pick for the the Ravens and social media circles um it, it kind of feels like it's either going to be Jordan Davis at 14 or hopefully hold out for um Yukon's Travis Jones at um at the 45th overall the, the second round pick there so it's uh, it's a, a match made in heaven as far as I'm concerned yeah, for those three, four, four, three under teams, you know, having a nose tackle who can take those double teams and allow those three sacks to have that one on one opportunity, that's invaluable. You know, everyone says nose tackles are not in style anymore. You know, uh, it's old school. I mean, like that that's true in a sense, but at the same time, they do have a function, you know, and especially a guy like Jordan Davis, as athletic as he is. I think you can train this guy to become a good pass rusher with his physical tools. Like I don't think it's that, that's out of the equation. So, you know, I, I really love the fit. I know our video guy, Brian Mahaffey, loves the Ravens fit too. Uh, I was getting his feedback and he's like, yeah, man, Jordan Davis, get that guy. And, you know, I, I, I'm really, really, um, you know, excited to see where he goes because I think the Ravens, Justin Matabuke, you know, you have guys that you can free up and create opportunities for. And, you know, there's a lot of talent in that secondary as well. I think they could add more, but a lot of versatility, you know, could be the element that unlocks that defense, having that nose tackle who could take those two gaps and allow you to be more flexible with your personnel. I love the Chargers fit too. You know, again, I don't think he gets to 17. I think you're looking at, you know, top 15 at the worst for Jordan Davis. But, you know, theoretically, if he was to get there, 
the Chargers signed Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson in free agency. You know, they have been revamping that defensive line already, especially trading for Khalil Mack. I can't believe I forgot that, right? So Jordan Davis completing that unit with Derwin James and Nasir Adderley on the back end. Like, I'm getting goosebumps, man. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> so if I'm the Chargers, I would almost consider trading up for him. You know, I know you don't have as much capital now after, you know, trading for Khalil Mack. But, you know, you still do have the first round pick. So you can you can use that to, to get up there a little bit, maybe towards 10th overall and get Jordan Davis. Right. So it's one of those things where if he's the completing piece to the puzzle, then do what you can to get him. Right. So, you know, I, I love those two fits uh, that, you know, surprisingly, that actually wasn't the one I was expecting you to bring up. I thought you were going to bring up Christian Christian Watson to the Chiefs. So uh, I, was well, like, I thought I thought we'd had enough wide receiver talk. Never, you can I, never I was, have enough wide receivers. I was chomping at the bit. Yeah. I was chomping at the bit to bring Christian Watson to the Chiefs up because I think for both of us that's been a kind of almost a natural fit based on what Kansas City Chiefs likes to do with their wide receivers. They're you know they signed Juju Smith Schuster, um, but that's a very different role that that he's going to play to what Christian Watson could play in an, an offense. You know, a guy who is completely versatile because of the speed. His ability to um, make yardage after the catch from the backfield, carry the ball out of the backfield as a almost like as a, as a running back, and then he can go up and snatch it with his six foot four frame. I, I think he offers an offense like the 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 Chiefs and um, that positional flexibility and versatility that you that you want in a prospect. You just watch some of the the highlight players that he's been able to produce for North Dakota State in the biggest of games against the best competition that he's been able to face at the FCS level. He's a, he's a kid who can come in, I think, and do it all for for an NFL offense. Yeah, it's and I think we're kind of on the same mind. Round two, right? Like, I don't think he's quite at the round one level. Yeah, I don't know yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, like I, I think you'd have to get around to the, the the problem is the kind of the 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 snag there is that with his athleticism, I mean, I could easily see him going top 50. So if you're the Chiefs, you might have to trade up a little bit if you want that guy. But I, I love the fit, you know, especially with guys like Juju and Tyreek, a lot of different contrasting styles. I mean, you know, I love the, the possibilities with that. So Christian Watson, you know, I, I think I mocked them to the Chiefs at 60 when they were still projected 64th overall back during the season. Uh, and and I was a big fan of that now, but I you know, I thought it was a reach at that point. Now we're looking at, oh, he might not even be there. It's so fun to see how things progress during the draft season uh, and they will continue to progress. But we've we've kind of given some of our fits and we've given some film observations. I think we'll wrap it up here. Uh, we've been talking for a long time. Obviously, everybody, you know, the deal at this point. That's what we do. All right. And we're going to be back on Thursday talking even more, talking it up again. Right. But right now, uh, everyone will just we'll, we'll close it off there. Thank you, as always, for listening and tuning in. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Ali is at OJ Hodgkinson on Twitter and myself. I'm at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. Uh, we got a lot of content coming out, more scouting reports, pro day previews. Uh, the scouting notebook, the next edition coming back on Friday with more in-depth film observations, some scouting notes, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, and then also, you know, just on more podcasts. I mean, who doesn't like a podcast? I love podcasts. So until next time, everyone, peace out. Have a good one.